Well, hello. How is everybody doing today? I pray after this great time of worship, you're doing well or getting a little bit better anyway as the day unfolds here. It's sure good to to see you guys kind of sort of in this way. I want you to know I continue to pray for you, your your physical, your spiritual, your emotional well-being as we go through this time. And what I know I'm praying, we're all praying that, that, that this is coming to an end and we're going to start moving again here pretty soon and then dealing with things that have been canceled and rearranged and just trying to put life back together. But I just pray God's favor on you as you do that. I, I, I pray that things come back together, things come in line well for you. You know, one thing you could pray for us, pray for our staff is we are working uh, very intently right now on what reopening does look like for the Heights Baptist Church. Uh, as a matter of fact, this past Monday afternoon, uh, Monday night, I, I was on a, a Zoom meeting. Aren't we all doing that now? I was on a Zoom meeting with some of the largest churches throughout the country, uh, just getting ideas and input on what reopening means for them so that we can do it in the, in the biggest, most celebratory way. But, but of course, understanding safety and well-being and and just this world we live in and how we're going to do this. Of course, we're also dealing with already things that have been canceled this summer here at the church. So far, none of those things were our decision. They were things we were partnering with, with other ministries, and and they canceled. But, uh, you know, we're working through a lot so that we very soon can provide you the very best, the very most church and and church programming uh, that we can. So be praying uh, for us toward toward that end. Also, real quickly, uh, when the sermon's all over, go back to your sermon notes in the app, and at the end of the sermon notes, uh, as we move through Revelation, I'm going to put each week two three, four questions that might be a discussion for for a family or for a couple, for friends. Uh, Again, they're meant to be discussed after the sermon has been listened to, but just hopefully something to not only help you think about what you learned, but, but then really how you apply that. Because as Peter told us, we ought to be asking, what sort of person should I be? Well, today we are starting Revelation in earnest. Two weeks ago, I tricked you with the whole Second Peter, but I think we got an important key from Second Peter. Last week, we did kind of an overview, uh, an introduction to the book of Revelation, but today we start Revelation chapter 1. You can turn there. And you know, as we open any book of the Bible, as we open Revelation, it is being written by a real person into a real historical context. All the letters of the New Testament are arriving at a church dealing with questions and issues that they were facing that maybe the writer had had heard about. Well, that's true here in this case. There are seven churches. You're going to meet them in just a moment. And, and John is writing to them about a real historical issue going on. And I might even call it Christianity on trial. You know, I know many of you just came out of a Zoom meeting, you had life group, or maybe you're doing that after the message, but you know, you had a lesson and you shared prayer requests. You talked about what was going on this past week or what's coming in the coming week. And well, you know, if you could imagine those first century believers in their small group time, probably not over a Zoom meeting, but if you would imagine them sharing what's going on, you would have heard, hey, my mom got executed this past week. 
Hey, you, you know what? My brother was imprisoned this past week. Hey, I've got a friend that the soldiers are just constantly harassing his business. That's what their small group, their prayer time, their conversation would have sounded like. There was an incredibly high cost for following Christ. And as that cost goes up, you know, you, you start to ask, is, is this worth it? Is this, did I know this is what we were signing up for? And, and, and as we've said, you're going to start asking the question as that cost is going up. Hey, I thought he was supposed to have been back by now. When, when, when is he actually returning? And so with these kinds of questions, there's almost this feeling that Christianity, this being a Christ follower is on trial. And guess who steps up to be the key witness to the worthiness of of Christianity. Well, would you would you be surprised if I said Christ himself? Now, if Jesus is going to be our key witness today. If you're in a trial and you have a witness, you've got to establish the the uh, credibility, the authority of that witness. I'm I'm guessing a lot of us watching today would say, "Well, I I don't need to, I don't need to have the credibility or authority of Jesus established for me. I already trust that." And I know you do. I do too. But you know what? I can always hear it again. I can always understand more. I can always grow in that more. And all that does is make me stronger, more ready, more willing should the cost go up. Because while you and I right now, we pay a cost for following Christ, but not quite like those first century believers were, hey, if that should ever happen in our lives, Man, we want to have roots that are already running deep. So let's start to establish the uh, the credibility and the authority of Jesus Christ, the one who is giving us this revelation. Would you turn with me? You maybe already have to, to Revelation chapter 1, and let me read, first of all, the first eight verses. Revelation 1, I'll begin in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Well, that's me. I'm being blessed for reading this aloud. And blessed are those who hear. Hey, hey, that's you. And, and I think this is the key for blessing for both of us, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Amen means so be it. Even so, so be it. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You know, folks, I said this last week, and I'll I'll say it again today. Revelation is first and foremost about Jesus. 
It is a revelation about Jesus. It is a revelation from Jesus. It is a revelation by Jesus. Now, that revelation that Jesus is giving originated with the Father. I'm I'm mindful of Matthew 24, 36, when Jesus said, only the Father knows the day and the time. That plan originated with him. That plan, the design of that plan comes from him. So everything we're going to read in the revelation was designed by the father. The father has a plan. He has a reason for why he is revealing what he's revealing. He has a plan and a reason for what he's not revealing because we don't know everything. We don't know the day or the time, right? God has a, 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 a reason in all of that. So the father has given it to the son. The son has given it to an angel and an angel is delivering it to John. Now we're going to see Jesus in just a moment in Revelation chapter one. But as far as the whole plan, the whole book, the whole revelation, it's from the father to the son to an angel. And then an angel brings it to John and the angel says this, hey, John, write down everything you see. I'm guessing that phrase doesn't inspire you, motivate you. <laughs> you know, as a matter of fact, that's the kind of phrase we, we read right by. And yet that phrase is very important. As a matter of fact, from that phrase, we're going to enter into Revelation and we're going to hear John use two words, I saw, 44 times. 44 times John is going to say, I saw, which means, folks, as we travel through Revelation, we are hearing an eyewitness account. Now, you can reject the eyewitness. You say, I don't believe what John is saying. I don't like John. I think John's crazy. I think John's lying. You can reject the eyewitness. But what you can't say about Revelation is that it's just a story. It's an allegory. It's a myth. It's a fable. There is nothing about the language of this book that matches any of that. John is telling you, I saw these things in the future, which then leaves you and me to, hey, am I, am I going to accept what he says he saw? And, and, and of course, right here already, he's saying, hey, I saw, we are going to see, there's going to be a day where every eye sees Jesus Christ coming back. Can you imagine that day? Can you just for a moment, just imagine what that moment means? Well, you know what? For a whole lot of people, it doesn't mean something good. John refers here to even those who pierced him will look on him. Even those who pierced him. Now, you know, that could be a reference to uh, the, the Roman soldiers who drove the nails It could be a reference to the Jewish priest that delivered Jesus over to Rome. It could be, it could be a reference to both. And as a matter of fact, I'm quite confident that it is for this reason, all people living and dead are going to see the return of the Lord. All people are going to see that moment. So yes, it refers to them. But now most specifically, when it says, even those who pierced him, I believe it's referring to the entire Jewish people. And I would, I would, ref, I, the reason I say that is go back, and I'm not going to do it now, but go back to Zechariah 12, verse 10. You'll see a prophecy there. You'll see that language, even those who pierced him. And it is a reference to the entire Jewish people, not just the Jewish people of that day that rejected the Messiah, but every day since then. 
any Jew that has rejected their Messiah is going to behold him, is going to see their Messiah coming through the clouds. Now, if you think, wow, look, wow, man, that's kind of scary. God's kind of calling out the Jews right here. Well, he goes up and picks up the rest of the earth with the, with the next phrase when he says all the peoples, all the families, all the, all the tribes will look and, and they will wail. You see, for a lot of people, this is not going to be a glorious moment. As a matter of fact, I, I mean, we can look at statistics today. We can look at what the scripture says and the tremendous majority of people, this is not a great moment. Why would they wail? Why would this not be a, a great moment? Because, folks, in the twinkling of an eye, I mean, just that quick, can you imagine in just a millisecond, you realize everything your life is, is wrong. Everything your life is, was, is a waste, is meaningless because you rejected the way. You rejected the truth. You rejected the life. It, you won't have to put all this together over time. When you see Jesus come through the sky, a person will instantly realize what they've done and that there's a consequence for that. Hey, you have the freedom to accept the truth or reject the truth. You don't have the freedom to pick the consequence for rejecting the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, you know, we have all kinds of reasons we reject the truth. We have all kinds of reasons we reject Jesus. Some people say, oh, you know, intellectual reasons. You know, I mean, I, you know, I like all this. I, I, I respect all this. But science, I mean, science does tell us, you know what? There's absolutely not a single scientific fact that disproves or contradicts anything in Scripture. Notice I said the word fact. We're taking theory today and accepting it as fact. Has not been proven. There is no science that contradicts the scripture and Jesus. But we'd say, oh, you know, I've got intellectual reasons, philosophical reasons. I could never worship a God who would. A, a God who would what? Not be like you? Not see things the way you see them? Because after all, you know all things. After all, you are the definition, the standard of justiceness, justice and righteousness, right? <laughs> no, we're not at all that standard and we don't know all things. The incredible arrogance by which somebody could say, I would never worship a God who would. You know, we have intellectual, maybe we have philosophical, maybe we have personal reasons, just mad at God. But you know, Jesus kind of cuts through all that. And he says, no, there's one reason. There's just one reason you reject me. You reject me because you love the darkness. Well, no, 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 Jesus, I got all these other... No, you reject me because you love the darkness. You love your sin. You love living life like your God. And you decide. You chose. You love. You desired the darkness. And there will be billions upon billions who will see Christ come through the clouds and they will realize they chose the darkness. And it was, what's there? And they will wail. Doesn't have to be that way. That, that's not what God wants for them. He, God wants to rescue them. So much more than rescue. More than rescue. He, he doesn't want to just rescue us from sin and death. He wants to make us his own children. Heirs. Heirs to the kingdom. Co-heirs with, with Jesus Christ is, is what God wants to do in our lives. So you know what he do? He gives us the revelation. 
so that right now I can repent, so that right now I can know, so that right now I can start living as the sort of person that I should be. Oh, let's continue to read. Let's continue to understand this one who is so worthy of being followed. Would you continue with me? Revelation 1, let me pick up in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard, a, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. A real person, John, writing to real churches, real recipients sitting in those pews waiting to receive this letter. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." Write, therefore, the things you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You know, last week I introduced to you that, you know, when you go through Revelation, there's going to be a lot of symbolism. You know, sometimes Revelation will use a symbol in one verse and then come back in a few verses later and tell us what the symbol is. In verse 16, it uses a symbol. In verse 20, it defines it. Now, remember, John is writing to real people. And boy, I just see him in these opening words identifying with his his audience, with the congregation there. And he's saying, hey, you know what? I, I feel your pain. You've lost people. P- people have died. You're, you're paying a high price. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm here on the Isle of, of Patmos. I, I, you know, the Isle of Patmos, everybody knew that's a place where prisoners go, political offenders go. Uh, he doesn't have his freedom. You know, we, we told you last week, all, all his friends, those original disciples, that original 12, man, they've all, they've all died. They died martyrs' death. He grieved not just the, the natural passing of somebody that he loved, but, but people's lives being taken from him. History has it that John was boiled in oil and survived. Can you imagine? What did he look like after that? What, what were the nerve endings in his skin? What kind of pain did he live with? I mean, listen, John is a guy that can say, I feel your pain. But he says to him here, hey, we're not just partners in suffering. I mean, listen, we're partners in a kingdom. You know, that kingdom's going to be so big throughout this. I, I, I'm reading that and I was thinking, you know, I, I don't think, 
I, I don't think I have enough kingdom theming in my preaching. I mean, no matter what the book, I I don't know that I do enough of that understanding. We have a king and you and I together are a part of a kingdom. We're not just suffering. We're a kingdom and we're, we're persevering. We're enduring for this kingdom and for our king. Now, what, what we're establishing here is the worthiness of, of suffering for this king. And so I want to look at here. This is going to be, it sounded a little daunting and sounded a little scary. 13 things. 13 things we learn about our king. 13 things about this eyewitness to, 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 or not eyewitness, this, this key witness to Christianity, the person of Jesus Christ. There's actually much more than 13 things here. I've limited it to 13 things and I'm going to try to run through them. Kind of quickly here, so let, let's hang on. Look down there. Matter of fact, the first five are all in verse five. So look down, Revelation 1, verse five. We're going to see five things right away that we learn about Jesus. First of all, he is a faithful witness. You know, folks, that, that means more than just that he's telling the truth. Jesus is faithfully communicating everything that the Father is giving him. He's not omitting anything. He's not adding any opinion. He's not changing it. He is faithfully communicating everything that the Father has given him. Jesus is a faithful witness. Secondly, he is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus coming back from the dead, but we've seen others come back from the dead. As a matter of fact, uh, right before Jesus was arrested, right before his whole Passion Weekend, Easter Weekend began, remember he raised Lazarus from the dead. So, so, but you know what? Lazarus died again. This isn't a reference to just being raised to life after death. This is a reference to being raised to that eternal glorified body. Jesus for all eternity. Jesus is from eternity to eternity. For all eternity, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's always the visible part of God that we see. And when he came to earth, he was incarnated. He put on humanity. He put on human flesh. Well, when he was resurrected and ascended into heaven, that human flesh became the eternal glorified human flesh. He was the first one for whom that happened, and it, he was the first. There's many more to follow. Guess who the many more are? It's, it's you and me, the Christ followers. We're going to be resurrected into this kind of body that Jesus has. So he is the, he is the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is pointing to Revelation 19 where we're going to see Jesus defeat the Antichrist and all of the kings that that came in loyalty with the Antichrist to fight Jesus. But folks, it's also just a reminder to us, no matter who's over us, no matter who's controlling our lives, at the end of the day, there's going to be one. You know, here the, you'll see in Scripture, it's, it's the phrase King of Kings or Lord of Lords. We might say today, Coach of Coaches, Teacher of Teachers. He, he's the Governor of Governors. You know, we're, we're always dealing with the things that leaders do over us. You know, I, for instance, in our country, a president, we're always looking at the power of the president and whether that, that power is rightly or wrongly executed. But as we've gone through COVID-19, I think this is somewhat new in in American history. There's millions of people all over the country right now saying, hey, does the governor have that kind of power? 
Can the, can the governor actually say this? Can the, can the governor actually do, we're questioning these kinds of things right now. Folks, whether we're questioning it, whether we like it or not, here's the bottom line. There's one governor of all governors. There's going to be one ultimate leader standing. And that king, that governor, that coach, that teacher, that boss is going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the fourth thing we learn about that one. He loves us. That king of kings, that governor of governors, he loves us. You know, that is such a a simple truth of Christianity. It is one of the first truths, maybe the first truth we learn in Christianity. And it, it actually means more than than just I'm loved. It also means God is not a vague force. God's a person. God, God has a personality. And in his personhood, he loves you. You know, not only is that a simple truth and a first truth, but I think sometimes it's also, it's not a truth we let really impact us like it should. I think at one time, it maybe it did, but we grow used to it. I I guess what I mean by this is, you know, I'm sure there's people listening right now. I mean, many of us would say, yes, I believe Jesus loves me. And maybe we've also said, I feel so unloved. Now, we're probably not saying that because of Jesus. We're referring to, you know, somebody important to us, rejection. You know, people that are supposed to love us and how they're acting and that makes us feel unloved. You know what? That's real. But we need to stop saying we're unloved because it's not true. And it's not right. As a Christ follower, you never live another second in eternity where you're not deeply, greatly loved. And you and I, even in those moments of rejection and hurt, you and I should live. You and I should respond like a person who is greatly loved. And he proved that love. And, and that's, that's what we learned there in number five. His love drove him to set us free from our sins by his blood. We've been set free from sin and death. You know, here again, I, 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 my assumption is most of us listening right now would say, I know that. I believe that. I agree with that. I don't know that it has the impact on us that it always should. And partly because we're overwhelmed by the needs of today. You know, I've, I've got a need to make right decisions for our church right now. You know, maybe we've got needs about finances and the difficulties going on with this. Maybe I've, I, I, I've got a re, or I've, I've got, I've got a need with a, a, in a relationship that is tense right now, or even a need in resolving an issue with an enemy. And we have all kinds of needs that overwhelm our feelings, that overwhelm our day. And that leaves us feeling like we've got nothing but need in our life. And we don't acknowledge that the greatest need in our lives, the need to resolve sin, the need to resolve death, has been met in our lives. Folks, that statement doesn't mean the needs we feel in this temporary world aren't real. It does give us a new perspective about how we look at all of our needs. Because when we see Jesus come through those clouds, even the believer realizes instantly every need I've ever had means nothing. All that means anything right now is sin and death, and that need has been met for me by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the love of Jesus Christ. We need to live like a people who are loved. We need to live like a people whose greatest needs have already been met. Oh, let's keep going. I got to pick up. Uh, number six, he made us a kingdom and priest 
to his God, to his God, the Father. We're a kingdom, folks. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're not we're not just a team that that comes and go. We're, we're a kingdom. You know what that means? That means when I am on my own or when I'm gathered with you, it should be clear that I have that we have a king in our lives. Is it clear? Is it clear that we're following the king of all kings? Is he central to everything that we're about? You know, folks, really, this this is a big part of what Love 804 is about, both both being a kingdom and a priest. A, a priest is somebody who mediates between God and, and man. And so you and I are priests to one another, and we're priests to the world out there. We go out there under our king to show the love of Jesus Christ. When, when, we're, when we're doing Love 804 events, it's to say we have a king. That king is loving, and there's going to be a king. He is the king of all kings. We're representing God out there. Of course, he is a king. Did you notice our title in verse 1? A lot of your translations may say servants. The most appropriate word there, the literal word there, is slave. I am a slave to the king. That means I am, it's what it's supposed to mean, I am to wake up today not thinking about what do I want to do, what do I need to do, what do I think is important. I need to wake up each day saying, hey, King Jesus, what do you want done today? What do you think is important today? You see, I, I, this day, my life, if I woke up to today, it is to serve my king as a priest, mediating for, for you, for believers, for people. It's what we all are to do. Let's see here. Number eight or number seven, it is right that glory be given to him. Listen, if you'd only do one right thing today, say praise Jesus. <laughs> if you say praise Jesus, you've done at least one right thing today. Hey, you can look at something good in life and acknowledge that it came from him and say praise Jesus. You can look at something bad going on in life and say praise Jesus. That bad thing is not the definer. That bad thing doesn't set the plan, the course. You do, my king. I acknowledge you. Glory to you. We can always do one right thing every day in just saying praise Jesus. Number eight, he's coming back. Now, we're going to spend six months talking about that, so I'm not going to cover a whole lot on number eight right now. Number nine, he look at look there, uh, verse eight, he is the alpha and omega. He is, he is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. He is the almighty. You know, to kind of put all of that together, to most quickly describe what is being said is, Jesus is everything. He is everything in time, he is everything in space. Wherever you go in space and time, Jesus is there, and Jesus is everything. And not only is Jesus there out there in the future, in the past, on the other side of the earth, on Jupiter, in another galaxy, not only is he everything in time and space, but he has all power. You know, we might read through the Revelation and say, can he do this? Does he have the authority, the power to, to bring this about? Yes, he is the Almighty. He can do this. Look at verse 12 and 13. Jesus is the center of the church. Jesus walks among the lampstands as the center of those lampstands. We're, that's in verse 16 we're, or verse 20. We're told that the lampstands, 
The, lamb, the lampstands are the church. Jesus is the center of me personally. Jesus is the center of us gathered. And I, and I love the, the, the symbol of a lampstand for, for the church. What is a lampstand? It's something that gives off light. We, we are, see, we, we did not choose darkness. We received the light and now we are to be that light. I'm to be the light on my street. That's why I say I am the church. You are the church on your street. Whether we're alone or gathered, we're to be giving light. Now you might think, and I certainly a lot of times do, how do I do that? What do I do to be the light? Well, folks, how's a lampstand fueled? Well, in the first century, the lampstands being referred to here would have been fueled by olive oil. Did you know all through the Bible, olive oil is a symbol for the Holy Spirit? I don't have to dream up a way, come up with a way to be the light. No, I rely. We rely every single day. Holy Spirit, how can I be a light in that situation I know I'm going to be dealing with today? Holy Spirit, how can I be a a light in what I know is coming and in what I don't know this day holds? How can I be a light on my street, at work, at school? How can I, you know, as long as we're relying on, depending upon the Holy Spirit, he's going to guide and he's going to use us to be that light. So Jesus is the center of, Okay, I got off on the symbol there, but Jesus is the center of our lives. He's the center of our church. That, that should always be, that should always be clear. Number 11, he is a priest and a judge. This is a reference to that, that long white robe he has on in the, in the golden sash. You know, the robe was representative of a, of a priest. What is a priest? We said a moment ago, it's somebody that mediates between God and man. He comes to you and me. He comes to the world to mediate a relationship between us and the Father, to show us the way, to show us the truth, to show us the life. If we reject that, then we don't get the priest, we get the judge, the golden sash. He is a priest and he is a, a judge. Number number 12, we're almost there. Number 12, he is an awesome God. Boy, those verses there, 14 to 16, what, what a picture of what Jesus Christ is. What a picture of what he's like. The long white hair, symbolic of his wisdom and dignity. The flame in his eyes is the kind of the scary one. The flame in his eyes is an allusion to his piercing, refining, all-seeing look into our lives. He sees, he hears every word, every action, every motive, every thought. There's nothing about us he's not seen. Nothing about us that he does not that he does not know. The refined bronze on his feet shows the purity of his walk on this earth. And and one of my favorites here I think is so important. In his right hand, now the right hand in, in this day would have been a position of of honor, a position of power and control. In his right hand he holds seven stars. Now we're told that the seven stars are angels, the angels to that church. Now Theologically, is it possible that every church has an angel? Oh, it's absolutely possible. Possible. I don't even think possible. I would even say likely that, that every church ha- has an angel that kind of oversees, protects, guards, and, and guides. But that word angel literally means messenger. 
It's always meant that. Means it in the Hebrew, means it in the Greek. Messenger. Now, almost every time that word is used, it's referring to what we think of, that angelic messenger, that that messenger from heaven. But there's a handful of times, matter of fact, literally a handful, there's five times in the New Testament where the word angel or messenger is used clearly for a human being. It can refer to a human that is being a messenger. I actually believe that what Jesus holds in his hand right here is not seven angels, angelic beings. It is the seven messengers to these seven churches. He holds the pastors. Now, why is that so important right here to know that that Jesus holds those pastors in his right hand. You know, this is somewhat, no, this is very true today. It's even more true then. You know, back then, there's no internet. There's no podcast. There's no books. Do you realize they're living in a, many of them can't read. They're living in a culture where that pastor would literally be everything that they knew about God. And pastors, this one included, It's not anything like what we're reading here. (laughs) I'm not always a faithful witness. I don't even like saying that out out loud. I mean, I don't ever try to purposely not be a faithful witness, but I I can make mistakes. I can omit things that are important. Um, I can make some good decisions. I can also make some wrong decisions. I I, I hope I didn't knowingly make a wrong decision, but I I know that unknowingly that I can. I I mean, when you consider, hey, God has put this person here that holds the spiritual well-being of people, that holds the spiritual well-being of a church, and then you look at that person, and you will realize if you watch them for any amount of time, hey, they're not always right. Hey, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. And it can get kind of scary thinking, hey, everything I know about God, all I know about God is through this person. And Jesus says here, they're in my hand. When they're good, when they're bad, when they're right, when they're wrong, they never leave my sovereign control. I am in control of the church. That's what Jesus is saying there. And me, the pastor, just a messenger. So man, what, what good news there? But Jesus, Jesus holds these, these seven, these seven pastors of these seven churches in his hand. Then we see the, the long two-edged sword. It's just a, folks, and I said this once before recently, talking about Jesus' return and it, you know, we're shaping up from Armageddon in this big battle. He just speaks and the war's over. The power of his word, the power of his word brings exact and total judgment. You know, I just realized I passed over something, the cascading waters or the sound of many waters. Think about, don't, don't humans like to be near water? We like the sound of the waves. We like the sound of the, of the brook as it goes by. We're something drawn. Folks, Jesus' word is powerful. It can't be controlled and it's irresistible. We're drawn to it. Gosh, everything about these, these phrases in, in verse 14 and 16 are just incredible. The sun, his face like the sun, a picture of the purity of holiness and righteousness. He's just awesome. And then lastly, finally, number 13, he holds the keys of death and Hades. Death here is a reference to physical death. Hades is a reference to spiritual death. Spiritual death being separation from God for all eternity. Death is never, I've said this already, I'm going to keep saying it, death is not the cessation of existence. You're just moving from one sphere to another. And so for the believer, they go from death to paradise 
on to heaven. We'll learn about all that order. We're going to have a message, where do people go when they die? That's going to be a part of our Revelation series. For the believer, it's death, paradise, heaven. For the unbeliever, it is death, Hades, hell. We're going to learn about all that. The key we're seeing here is Jesus holds the keys to all of it. He's in total control of that that door, death, and all that is beyond it. it. It really is just an incredible and awesome scene, isn't it? And that's why it says there that as John took all this in, that he fell dead. He fell down like a dead person. You know, sometimes when we see falling before God, we think of worship, right? Oh, I'm just in awe of you. I'm in love with you. And we fall down. We we prostrate ourselves before the, the Lord and, and we're worshiping him. Worship is not what John's doing here. I'm not saying John never worshipped. I'm saying that word right there, what it's saying is that as John beheld all this, he physically, emotionally could not, his frame would not hold up under the weight of the glory and the awesomeness of this moment. And he collapsed. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. It is absolutely right for you to be terrified of the living God. And it is so kind and good and gracious and merciful that that same God says, don't be afraid. He invites us not to. You know, folks, there's 22 chapters getting ready to answer why Jesus is worth it, why the cost we're paying in this life is worth it, showing us where all of life is going. But I almost feel like after chapter one, I I close the book. I don't even know. I don't even need the other 21 chapters. He is worthy. Man, in light of what we've seen today, what kind of people should we be? You know, I just mentioned 13 things. I didn't mention everything. I, I, I guess different things would minister to, challenge each of us, and, and then what that should mean in our lives. I'll, I'll be honest with you, two things that jumped out at me was king, Jesus being king. And obviously, that's not news. I, I knew that already. I know the title, King of Kings. I've seen Jesus referred to as king more times than I can mention, but I don't know something about seeing it today. I thought, do I? Do, do I see him as king? When I'm, when I'm doing my finances, is it clear that I have a king? When I'm responding to an enemy, is it clear that I have a king? When I'm making a decision, is it clear that I have a king? You, you see, I, I am a slave to that king. In every aspect of my life, I'm serving that king. Boy, the other thing that really grabs me today that makes me think of what sort of person should I be is just John dropping dead before that king. And I think, am I in awe? Am I in awe of my God like I should be? Am I in awe of him when I'm feeling temptation? Am am I in awe of him when I want things my way? Am I understanding the weight of his glory and what that means to how I should live today. Gosh, we, we could just keep right on going on here. But I tell you something, Jesus is awesome and he's worthy. 
whatever we're going through, whatever we're dealing, and not just going through and dealing, but going through it as a follower of Christ would go through it, dealing with it as a follower of Christ and whatever weight, whatever cost that brings to bear, he is worthy. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray today, I live and act in light of what I've read today in a way that it is clear you are my king, in a way that is clear you are worthy. Holy Spirit, I sure need your help. I need your help on how to do that. I need your help in the strength and the courage to do that. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, earlier in, the, in our presentation today, you heard about a card you can fill out to connect. There's a place on that card to, to ask questions about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ or to say that that's a decision you made today. If you'll go back and, and connect on that card and make that clear, boy, we'd love to be able to help you as you today begin to follow the King of all kings. God bless. Y'all have a great week.